welcome back to the Act Two podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh, and I am Josh Hallman, and we are Act Two. <laughs> um, and we are the Act Two podcast. Act Two is a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter, of which this podcast is actually just one of our many initiatives. So thank you for joining us here. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. Not only will you not miss out on any of our upcoming topics, but it helps us out because it helps other writers see our podcast more and helps you give them our information, basically. <laughs> if you rather DM us, though, with questions or any topic suggestions, you can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com, and that's all spelled out, or on our Instagram at act2writers. I'm also on Instagram at Story Thursday or at Twitter or on Twitter, at Tasha 3.0. <laughs> at Twitter. I'm at Twitter, at Joshua <laughs> Hallman, and I'm at Instagram, at Josh Hallman. Boom. Oh, man, that bothers me when you say it like that. I'm going to say it like that. <laughs> All right, so today we kind of have a big topic. that, And I say it's big because not only is there a lot of information on it that we want to talk about, but also it's a big topic among writers. And we are always talking about this. And I think we're always arguing about it. And it's a big topic that we bring up at the WGA all the time. And they sort of don't have a full answer. So it's a big, big topic. And that topic yeah. is OWAs, or Open Writing Assignments. Yeah, and since you are an expert in this uh topic on this topic and in this category i feel i didn't tell you i was going to do this but i feel oh, like no. i'm going to act as like someone in the audience asking you questions i'm going to be like poking holes and asking you things okay are you going to be like that jerk this. guy or like a really nice supportive fan of the podcast I'm obviously a very nice supportive fan <laughs> of the podcast okay i'm actually just going to be myself because I don't know what the fuck is going on. So, so I'm somewhere just going to ask you questions. Yeah, somewhere in the middle, I'll, I'll ask questions I sort of know the answer to and, and don't. But I know you know okay. a lot more about it. Yeah, I've been on a lot of them. So I feel like I'm going to share some of my personal experiences and also other people's experiences. And hopefully we'll have some kind of understanding of what the hell this is. And also, what are the good and bad aspects of it? Totally. You're going to be, when someone gets done with this podcast, they're going to be ready to take on the world <laughs> or not depending on how they take this so an open writing assignment means that a producer or a studio has development money to hire a writer on a project and so it's kind of like an open casting call but for writers and it's open because it's available it's a position that needs to be filled and of course it's an assignment because it's a project that already exists so never are you really going to be going out for an open writing assignment on an original idea of yours? An OWA really means there's already a project in existence. You are being called in to pitch your take on that project to see if they want to hire you to write it, adapt it, rewrite it. There's a myriad of versions of that, but something is already in existence that you are coming on to pitch your take on. So sometimes that could be a project that's actually been in development for ages. Maybe there's been a number of writers who have already come in and written on this and just nobody has gotten it right. So the studio or the producers are going back to the drawing board and hiring a new writer. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's actually just an idea 
that the company has that they came up with. I once went into an OWA and all the company had was a picture of a fairy. Mm. And they wanted me to come up with a take on something based on a picture that was also just like, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a picture that had a specific point of view on what fairies were like a fairy dressed in like steampunk or like, like a punk fairy with a heavy metal band. Like it wasn't a specific kind. It was just a fairy. So um, sometimes you'll Wait. have that. <laughs> hold, hold on. I'm not going to just let you get right past this. So they give you a picture of a fairy. And they're like, hey, here's just a fairy. Or did they say, hey, this fairy looks like it's, uh, you know, living in like some weird forest. We want to come up with some kind of pitch about it. It's just a fairy. That's fucking cheating. <laughs> well, okay. The one thing they had was they said they wanted it to be a modern day action movie. That's still what? <laughs> I, I swear to God, I hear these things. And like, I know I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I'm doing the wrong thing because my dream is to one day like draw a smiley face on a sheet of paper, slide <laughs> it across the table to a writer and say, action comedy, <laughs> father and son, give me your pitch. <laughs> this is your OWA. Oh my gosh. I feel like that would be acceptable behavior I know. if you it was like, were a it producer. Was, it, was, it was a nice smiley face. <laughs> How does right, a I'm smiley sorry. face make you feel? I want uh, that. Right. <laughs> make me feel this. So, yes, actually, it can't just be something like that. Sometimes I've, like, gone in and producers have talked about a dream they had once that they want to make into a movie and that's suddenly an open writing assignment more realistically there's a book or an article they've read and now they have the rights to that but whatever it is there is a piece of underlying material that they want you to come in and write on now there's a lot of debate among writers whether owas are wonderful beautiful things or the product of the devil Ooh. me personally I kind of think they're wonderful, beautiful things in many ways, but they're also horrible in many ways. So I think the point of this episode is to talk about both sides of that coin, because as a writer, you can 100% make a living off of OWAs, but you also need to know the risks to them because they are very real. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. That I, I, I sort of know the answer to, but this is part of the Q&A here. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Writer in the front. Yeah, excuse me. Um, are, are there ever any open writing assignments where you're not getting paid and you're writing something on spec? Don't do those. <laughs> okay. Okay, thanks. I'll, I'll sit back down now. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so this is, I mean, this wouldn't technically be an OWA, but I've definitely had producers come to me with a book or an underlying piece of material, and they are maybe sending this book to two to five other people. But they're, they're telling me, like, this is pretty targeted. Like, we really thought of you for this. Mm -hmm. If you don't like it, we're going to go to other people. And they're, they kind of have other writers waiting in the wings to read this book. But it's a bit more targeted. And in that case, it's usually, like, we don't have money to pay you. But here's our plan. Like, we think you'd be great for this. We think you should write it. And then we'll go and take it out. And they'll pitch you with their brilliant idea of why this is the greatest book they've ever read and why it's a sure sale, et cetera, et cetera. But specifically, an open writing assignment, it's usually that open part of it, that equation, uh, indicates that there's money to be had there. 
That's why it's an open writing assignment. If you come across a job opportunity like this, ask your reps if there is development money in it. Make sure you know the answer to that because as we'll, we'll talk about sort of at the end of this episode about time risk management, that becomes a very important piece of the puzzle because not only are you gonna have to write this whole thing on spec, but now you're gonna have to then do an added process of selling it. And that's two places where the risk is really high. Like if you finish your script and they don't like it, you've just put all of this time into something that A, you don't have the rights to because it's based on their underlying material. And B, you've written something original technically, but you can't sell it yourself. You've, mm -hmm. you've just wasted all of this time and you've probably worked full time on it. Now I'm just rambling because now I'm upset about all the times that this has happened to people. <laughs> <laughs> That's an OWA that I would recommend not engaging in. Okay. Okay, that's the short answer. The majority of the OWAs that I'm gonna be talking about are ones where there is development money to be had. So most of my jobs have actually come from OWAs. Most recently, Red Sonia was an OWA. I was ultimately up against, I think around five to 10 other writers. Tomb Raider was an OWA. I was also up mm -hmm. against five other writers. Wow. It's a, it's a way to have a career. And I, I also have a pitch that I'm taking out at the end of this month that was an OWA. And I think whether we sell it or not, I now have an amazing relationship with a very big production company, a big studio, an A-list showrunner that I would not have met had I not tried out for this job. And I think those relationships do yield future jobs down the road. So these projects, they've all transformed my career and have allowed me to build relationships that are part of the foundation of building a, a lasting career. And that's something to think about too with OWAs is that sometimes the end game is actually the relationship Mm -hmm. So, for example, Joshua, let's say, hey, your agents call you and there is an opportunity to pitch on an OWA at Bad Robot or at Amblin. And they're like, we don't think you're going to get the job because also, I don't know, like Taylor Sheridan is going out for this movie and some other A-list writer. <laughs> Basically... The odds are slim, and there's also like 15 other people pitching on this. Would you still go up for the job? 100%. Why? For the exact reason you just said. It's like you make connections, and what's the hurt? Like, what's the hurt in doing something? Just do it. Go into it, <laughs> think you're going to beat out all these A list writers. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, because it can happen. And that's the cool thing about OWAs is that they cast usually such a wide net that it means that writers can get an opportunity to pitch on a project that they may not have gotten a chance to do otherwise. Yeah. I once pitched on a 300 sequel. Like, I wasn't, I had nothing produced. Like, I was technically not qualified to do that, but I got an opportunity to do that. And that was, A, a growing experience for me because I had to learn how to put a movie like that together. And I didn't get the job, but also nobody got the job, which is something we'll talk about a little later. Yeah. So you almost, you won. I well, did you, <laughs> did you, and did you carry on any, uh, any connections from the pitch? Yes, actually. One of the producers on that project ended up being a producer on Red Sonia as well. And so I think kind of championed that. And now I've go. met Zack Snyder. So that's a thing. So what? are the problems with OWAs. What is it that people talk about when they say that they are the devil? I think taking from what I just said, 
When you cast a wide net to a bunch of writers for an open writing assignment, it means you, who has never had anything produced before, can still have a chance to pitch on a big property, and that's amazing. But you might be going up against people who have been produced, maybe even big names. I have definitely not gotten a job because I ended up being like one of two writers who they absolutely loved, and then they had to juggle between do we like the produced writer more or Tasha the non-produced writer more. And even if they liked my pitch better, the produced writer has a track record that proves they can take a movie to the finish line. And at the end of the day, this is a business and that's what you look for when you wanna be in business with someone. I actually remember Eric Heiserer who wrote The Arrival in Bird Box. He once told a story about how after he got nominated for an Oscar for Arrival, it put him into this whole new stratosphere of writer, but he was still going up for these OWA pitches against people like Aaron Sorkin and Chris Nolan, <laughs> like other writers who've actually won Oscars and are now also leveled up with him. And yeah. so he has to compete just like everyone else. It's just that his competition is also higher. So this is a problem that kind of everyone has. Another element to be aware of with OWAs in our business is that you're not paid to pitch, right? So you do not get paid for any of the work that you're going to put in to pitch. And for me, it usually takes at least a month to put together a pitch. And it's a lot of work in that month. It's often research that I'll have to do to do the pitch. It's many different drafts of what I think the movie should be because at the end of the day I have to create the movie at least the basics of the movie in order to even pitch about it so I'm writing essentially a rough draft of a movie in my head mm -hmm. or on paper in an outline and that's a month's worth of work that you're not getting paid for and that is taking you away from other things that could be more lucrative big time a lot of mental energy as well. You're so like, much mental energy. You're thinking about it. You're talking about it with your significant other. You're just like dwelling on certain things. It, it like destroys your relationships. <laughs> like when you're like at dinner and like you're trying to have a conversation and you can't talk about anything else. Anyway. Yeah, that sort of happens to me last night. <laughs> Poor Paul came home and, he, and it was just like, I was just staring out the window. It's <laughs> like, so what do you want for dinner? I don't know figure it out. <laughs> I am doing something. I'm working. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Love you. Oh, man. It's yeah. bad. It's, yeah. It sucks. It's just... Anyway. But it's good news for their producer, and that's why they do this. And this is, mm -hmm. again, something to pay attention to, is that you're not paid to pitch. And that means that the producer or studio who has the OWA, it literally costs them nothing except an hour of their day to hear a pitch. So they will often have zero problem letting a bunch of unknown writers into the room to pitch on a project, which is again, both good and bad news. The second job I ever got was an OWA and it was against a bunch of other people and I got the job. I had zero produced credits before that. I had two development credits. One of them was at Warner Brothers, so that was a fairly big deal. But I think they would have even let me pitch if I didn't have that development credit at Warner Brothers because it was an open writing assignment. And then of course, getting that job allowed me to live another year in LA while I looked for my next job. So there's the good news. <laughs> but there are two big problems with OWAs for this reason, because producers don't have to put up money to hear writers pitching. First is that the odds of getting the job is really low. The second is that the time you spend trying to get an OWA 
can often be the same amount of time that it actually takes to just write the first draft of an original spec. And at that point, that's when we have to start talking about time risk management. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell a story. Okay. <laughs> um, to me, this story illustrates both the first and the second kind of bad things about o OWAs and illustrates why people think they're so terrible. So this was maybe the second year or so of my writing career. I had had two jobs before that. Again, one was Warner Brothers. One was this other OWA that I got uh, shortly thereafter. And I didn't have a new spec. And I was started to get kind of higher level or like mid to high level meetings. And they resulted in open writing assignments, meaning in the general, the producer would say like, hey, we have this opportunity. We have this book and we want to sell it to Warner Brothers. We want to sell it to wherever. And when we sell it, you know, you're going to get money. So the only skin I had in the game was my pitch. They weren't asking me to write anything on spec, which was great. It was just a pitch. And I was like, oh, I can do that. It's just a pitch. And to me, what was going through my head was this is a much bigger shortcut to success than writing an original script because writing original script, it does take a while. Like you do have to come up with an entire thing from scratch and then you yeah. have to go through revisions, probably with your writer's group, your reps before you can even sell it. And that to me just feels like a long time only to then be told, you know, we can't sell your spec. So it feels like a wasted amount of time for me. Whereas a pitch feels like, hey, that's a shorter amount of work and I'm closer to the finish line because if I just pitch it and get the job, now I now I get paid to write. Like that I'm at the finish line. Now that that year I ended up taking 12 pitches. And all of them I was second to last. Like I was one of two writers they were going to pick. I always got to the top two but never actually got the job. And 12 pitches means I was working on a pitch a month because there's no other time for anything else. And it was a full-time job to do this. I was not writing anything original in this time because I had no time to do that. At the end of those 12 pitches, at the end of those 12 months, I had nothing to show for it because all of the work I'd put into these other pitches, I couldn't use because they were based so specifically on the books or the articles that these people had the rights to that I couldn't then turn into anything of my own and I ended up having to get a part-time job actually it ended up being a full-time job in order to pay my bills because I just spent a year not writing anything original and then getting nowhere in my career because if you write a script that doesn't sell at least you now have a sample right like your agents can send that out as like the new thing you've just written isn't this exciting it's a new Tasha script we're not going to sell it but now you have a new sample but at the end of pitches, you have nothing that you can use as a sample. May I maybe play devil's advocate? Ooh, okay. Do you think that those pitches ultimately helped you when you pitched on Tomb Raider and Red Sonia? That's a really great devil's advocate question because I think my year of pain of these 12 <laughs> pitches absolutely was like hell week for me in terms, hell year, <laughs> hell for year. me in terms of teaching me how to pitch in a really effective way, mm -hmm. in a really engaging way, and also helped 
me deal with rejection because I got rejected 12 times um, after so much work. So yeah, 100%, I don't think I could have gotten the jobs I now have without having that hell year. Yeah, interesting. So would I take it back? No. Had I wished that I maybe approached it more intelligently? Yes. More intelligently in the sense like you wish you hadn't spent as much time on each pitch? I think we'll, I'll get into kind of what to look out for when you're okay. starting. And these are questions that I just didn't know to ask. Yeah, I think I'm getting, I'm taking us off track because I want to peek into the mind of <laughs> Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have like a list of questions that I wish I would have asked and understood before going into those OWAs that I think if you know going into them, that at least you have the red flags in your head and you can approach it with open eyes. I just went in racing and yeah. just hit a bunch of walls until I figured out the right direction. Yeah, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> All right, let's go. All right, so Terry Rossio, who is the writer of Shrek and Pirates of the Caribbean, he has a really famous blog post that I know you know about, Joshua, on a very outdated website, uh, but the, <laughs> the blog is called Time Risk. And if you Google just time risk, Terry Rossio, R-O-S-S-I-O, you'll find it. We'll even link it to, um, we'll put a link to it in our podcast description. But the reason why his time risk post became so viral among writers is because we as screenwriters need to think of our careers and our time in this very kind of practical business-minded way. And he came at it with like, look, writers we need to think of ourselves as business people yes we're creative but if we don't think of ourselves as business people then we're never going to get ahead and i think that is so true because as writers while we have the same amount of time as most humans <laughs> in the world we have a career that gives us often more work than like human hours allow <laughs> i think yeah. at least in order to have like a sustainable income from screenwriting you just have to have multiple jobs all the time and then as soon as you get a job you have to already be hunting for your next job this process is never ending like i've talked to a-list writers who really probably could retire right now but they're still on this like constant roller coaster or like spinning wheel to constantly get their next job it's just the way this always works What's also interesting about the whole time risk thing is if you spend too much time on something, you kind of take the momentum away from your own personal writing brand that you are. You know, if you spend a year and someone's like, oh, Tasha, you're still writing? Yes. Or like something to that extent where you're gone because you maybe put too much time into something else. So that's 100% how I felt after that hell year is that people would be like, oh, what has Tasha written that's new? Nothing. She's written nothing new. And... What they don't know is that I've been working my ass off that entire year, but I just, to, to them, it feels like I've done nothing. And so that's an important part of that puzzle. Yeah. So I went back over Terry Rossio's extremely long post. It's like 55 pages long, but it's yeah. all really riveting. So read it. <laughs> um, yeah, Terry Rossio. <laughs> But in thinking about your career in this time risk management way, he brings up two really great versions of the OWA that you should all pay attention to and look out for as red flags. Now, when I say that, I don't say that to say don't do that OWA pitch. It just means to go in with your eyes wide open so you know what you're getting yourself into. So there's sometimes in OWAs 
what I like to call a cattle call. I think old school people call them sweepstakes pitching, where there are basically like 20 plus writers coming in for the same OWA. And do you mind if I like just kind of say what Rossio said? Because I think he puts it really well. Sure. Go ahead and read the 55 pages. <laughs> that is something I would do. Okay. He says, <laughs> it's often not exactly clear where the usual normal open assignment process ends and the much reviled sweepstakes pitching begins. The complaint is that a studio will set up multiple pitches from an inordinate number of writers, say 20 or more, knowing, obviously that most screenwriters are wasting their time. Only one person can get the job. Rather than meet with one writer at a time and give the job out when they hear what they want, which is actually a really interesting process, why don't they do that? <laughs> Instead, they set up a system that guarantees that 19 out of 20 writers are wasting their time. In some cases, the studio may already be leaning towards a writer, but they meet with you anyway. In some cases, they've already chosen another writer, but they meet with you anyway. I've definitely had those meetings, by the way, where my reps would be like, so they're really wanting this other writer, but they're willing to hear your <laughs> right. pitch. Yeah. In some cases, they meet with all the writers and they choose none of them. In some cases, there is a fear that the producers are mining ideas. In other words, they already have their writer but they, quote, might hear something interesting during one of the other pitches, and those ideas will show up in the next draft of their project. And I've definitely heard writers talk about this very thing. Actually, Carrie Fisher would often complain. She, I think she even said that she stopped doing these kinds of pitches because to her it was just giving these execs free work, and then she would just see yeah. her, her pitches in the movies. So, like, that description of what that sweepstakes cattle call pitching is is very accurate and it can be very frustrating and in some ways yes go in it thinking i'm going to get this job but also go into it if you're going to take that kind of job or that kind of opportunity go into it thinking this is an opportunity for me to learn like it's just an opportunity for me to pitch in front of people get those nerves out learn how pitches feel in a room just take it as an opportunity i think as much yeah. as it is a job option. Does that make sense? It makes all the sense. I think it's actually pitching so important that you might as well just do it until you're like, uh, you know, you have muscle memory at it and you're like, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. I can make an ass of myself. I, I'm good. I'm, this is everything is okay. Oh man. You have dream. to do it. <laughs> yeah. To be that loose. All right. He, Rossio then brings up another type of OWA that he calls the phantom assignment. And this is what he says about them. At least with the sweepstakes pitching scenario, the time risk paves off for one writer. And the phantom assignment scenario, the assignment, is purely speculative. There is no actual job to be filled, no money budgeted, no institutional intent to move forward, and that information is kept from the writer. And he goes on to tell a really specific and engaging story about this, so go definitely read it. But my story is that I worked at Universal as we all know. And we had this OWA. And it was a really tough script to crack because the basic premise was fairly absurd. And they wanted it to be the next Hunger Games with this absurd premise. 
So my boss is taking pitches from pretty big name writers and she's talking on the phone with one of these writers agents and this writer's coming in soon, probably as they're talking, this writer's developing their take. And my boss says something to the effect of, yeah, this movie's a tough one. I'm sure we're never going to make it. And the agent loses her shit. The agent is like, why the fuck am I sending my client up for this if you are not going to make it? Why am I wasting her time Whoa. that could be better spent elsewhere trying to get a different job? You're wasting my client's time. So, like, my boss had to backpedal really fast. And, of course, at the end of the day, the writer came in, pitched her take. We never made the movie. So, <laughs> that's all to say that Whoa. this is real. <laughs> what a great <laughs> right? agent. Yeah, exactly. I know. You want someone like that at your back for sure. Yeah, a, a bad agent would say, take the job anyway, or like, take the meeting anyway. Yeah. Just figure it out. It's a great opportunity. Wow. But no, I mean, the the thing in, in the phantom assignment, like, why would they ever do that? And the reason why is because they had bought this book series. They had spent real money on this thing. They believed it could be something. They hoped it could be. I mean, why, why was Hunger Games successful? This could be successful. So they'd already spent money on it. And... They just didn't see how to make it work. And they desperately wanted a writer to come in and have a brilliant idea that they just sparked to that could make it work. And they felt like they had to do their due diligence because they had spent money on it. But they, at the end of the day, did not believe this was going to work. They just hoped a writer would figure it out. So that's not a yeah. real job. By the way, it's just so crazy about how many pitches and ideas and scripts and how many unmade things exist in the entertainment industry? Like it, it just boggles my mind. Like what you're saying, I bet you there are plenty of pitches that could have been a movie. Like they, mm -hmm. that, that could, it could have been something very entertaining, mm -hmm. but I mean, they're just, I mean, it's just, I don't know. One day someone's going to crack how to, you know, mine old ideas and bring them back. And, and that person's going to be, a genius whenever that happens it's that guy who came up with the pretty woman script right isn't that wasn't uh, that's that his exactly story? yeah yeah well he was looking through old boxes and then found found a script no not pretty woman uh the wedding ringer the wedding oh okay the the, the kevin hart one <laughs> great movie actually i feel like we should do a topic about this it's sort of been on my mind as well because i will often bemoaned what? my manager like oh this script sold and like i read it and it was just the worst thing i've ever read and i don't understand why why aren't people responding this way to my writing yeah. and her response is well did that script get made it's like no but it sold it's like but it didn't get made did it no do you want to write movies that sell or do you want to write movies that get made and part of me is like i want to write movies that sell <laughs> yeah like... you're like uh both i don't oh, fucking yeah. care <laughs> But her point is is valid. There's a difference between movies that get made and movies that just sell. And I think yeah. th that difference is something that we should definitely talk about. Yeah, that's going to be a great episode. Then I can also have a therapy session about how a couple – this has happened to me multiple times of where I've like seen my movies get made yes, that yes. Aren't, aren't my movies. I'm excited for that. I'm sorry. Um, I know it's your oh, pain. I'm going to have a big old drink for that one. <laughs> All right, back to OWAs. There's also another hurdle in the OWA world where you're pitching on something and the company doesn't have the rights to it, but you don't find out about that until after you've pitched on it because the company has hid this from you deliberately. 
-hmm. I actually once pitched on something and the company said, oh, we just we have a gentleman's agreement with the rights holder. So don't worry about it. It'll all work out. If we sell this, we'll get the rights. And I knew that this was a red flag and yeah. I still put work into it and I pitched it and I sold it. But now sold it in quotes because I've not seen any money from the sale because the deal with the rights holder has not yet closed. And this happened at the beginning of the pandemic. So this was spring of 2020 when this happened and I have not gotten paid because they're still dealing with the rights for the rights holder. Yeah, that's exciting. So if I was like depending on that money as my next paycheck to pay my rent, I would have been screwed. Yeah. I've also pitched on something, put a ton of work into it, only to find out they had the rights to the property. So they weren't technically lying to me when they said they had the rights, but they didn't have the rights to turn it into TV, which is what oh. I wanted to do with it. <laughs> oh, no. So I wasted a ton of time that I could have been using on a different pitch opportunity or writing my own stuff. So these are all the reasons why writers tell you that OWAs are the devil's work. So I don't want to leave on that note. I think while there are obstacles, there are ways to go out with on w OWAs where you can advocate for yourself and where you can be smart about it and make yeah. educated choices. So how do you become smart about choosing an OWA? First, whenever you are deciding if you are going to engage, before you do any work, talk to your reps. Ask them to find out how many other writers are pitching on the project. Now, legally, thank you to the WGA, producers and studios have to tell you or your agent how many people are pitching on a project. They don't have to tell you who's doing it, but they have to tell you how many people. So find that out because if it's 20, you may decide, I don't wanna put my time into that. Find another OWA that's like five people, right? Yeah. Also, ask your reps to find out what the right situation is around the project. And by the way, these are all questions you can ask yourself if you don't have reps or if you have a good relationship with someone. I tend to use my reps for these things only because it's like unfun businessy stuff and I like to keep my relationships more fun and creative. But these are super valid questions for the writer to ask as well. Uh, what is the right situation around the project? Ask them. Also, if this is based on underlying material that they may not have mentioned, because I once pitched on something, I got the job and only during the negotiation process with my lawyer, did I find out the job was actually a rewrite job, not an original job, because they actually had an underlying script that had existed ages ago that, by the way, the company did not tell me about. So I thought I was coming in to write an original idea which means I get paid a lot more money. But in this case, because they did not show me the original script and even told me to never look at it once I finally learned it existed, I was literally writing a page one draft of something from scratch, but getting paid less for it. And that's an avenue that a lot of people will take because they can legitimately pay you less money. And that meant right, money that I was expecting for rent did not come my way. So that is a very real thing to ask people. Also, if your reps are good, they will also give you additional information. They will kind of give you their read of the situation. For example, 
hey, these producers gave one of my other clients or one of our other clients at our company the runaround a few months ago. I don't think they're serious about making stuff or they're, they haven't been able to get anything off the ground. This might be a waste of your time, meaning they can give you a read of what the company's actually up to. Or conversely, they can be like, these people are serious. They definitely have development money. We know this because we've had all of these conversations with them. It's a high level opportunity. We think you should go for it. So use your reps as detectives, basically, to get all of this information for you so that you go in with all the information as an educated writer on a OWA. Yeah, that makes all the sense. That hap Well, you know the story, but I won't get into such detail, but I was going to go pitch on something. And then I talked to my manager and my manager was like, hey, by the way, this actor who's attached to it is like now kind of getting caught up in some like, you know, he, he may have said some racial slurs or this and that. Mm. I was like, what? And Wait, uh, I don't remember this. Well, it's not, it's not exactly for the podcast. <laughs> so carry on, Tasha. Yeah, I mean, that's information you definitely needed to know going into your pitch. Yeah, no, it, but it's because I feel like as a writer, you just get so excited and you just hope for the best and so you don't really go into something being like hey does this person have a history of doing x y and z or is this person kind of you know getting caught up in in one thing or another because you, you oh i remember now yeah you you get um you know you get this information and then you're like oh my god i'm gonna crush this pitch i'm gonna do my best job at it, and it's gonna be a great job i'm gonna i'm gonna kill it yeah like that's for me at least where my, my mind goes i'm not like Yes, and this is where Terry Rossio's time risk management thing comes in handy for us because I'm the same way. I look at the material creatively and I get really excited by what this movie could be and I want to be a part of it. And I just, mm -hmm. I just, I'm like a little kid thinking about movies again when I engage on these OWAs and I leave it up to my reps to give me reality checks. But I think what Rossio was trying to say in his thing is that we need to be our own reality checks and really take ourselves seriously and say while you may be creatively in love with this idea it might not be the best use of your time on a career level and that becomes important because like i said that whole year that i kind of lost in terms of yeah. building my career while i gained a lot of skills in pitching that have been valuable and some relationships that i still keep only but only some it was a wasted year in terms of my career so I don't know. That's kind of all I have to say. I feel like we could talk forever about this and we may have follow-up episodes and talk to other writers who have had different OWA experiences. But to me, that's sort of the short answer to the OWA situation in terms of what is the good version of it and what is the bad version of it. So you can keep your eyes open when you go after them. Yeah, that makes all the sense. I mean, I, you laid that out beautifully, by the way. Oh, good, because I, I felt like, like I was rambling. No, not at all, because... It, it's it's interesting because the way you you laid it out for us was you you pick a side you can say I'm not going to waste my time doing this or you can look at it a different way and say I even though you might have done 12 pitches and not not gotten a single uh, job from it you made great relationships and you fine tuned your instrument and then you fucking crushed it the following year and you got yeah. 12 jobs in 12 months right <laughs> <laughs> but no you you know you you pick a side and in our Act Two thread. Uh, email thread there was a 
brewing debate on OWAs that was exciting. There was because there are writers who, like me, have gotten a lot of their jobs from OWAs. And there's a lot of other writers who, on principle, say that OWAs are not good for writers, and they're not wrong. As I said earlier at the podcast, this is a topic of conversation within the WGA a lot, and I've been to a panel where they talked about this and why there's no consensus as to how to handle OWAs from a WGA union perspective. Um, it's because there are so many opinions in the room about how to handle it. Like Just being in that yeah. panel, it was a panel of writers talking to uh, leaders within the WGA about their ideas, their creative, interesting ideas on how to make OWAs less risky for writers and more profitable for them because it can be such a time suck. And everyone had a different idea. And there were 40 people in the room. <laughs> so wow. if you have all these writers, very talented, very creative, very business minded, all having different points of view on how to handle the OW situation, you're not going to get a definitive way to deal with it. So one day we might, we don't have that yet. You know what, though? On a future episode, we're going to solve it. We're going to solve all the OWA problems. I think this is a good goal. I'm, yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah, it's going to happen. We'll talk to producers, see their side of things, and studio executives, and, and writers, and yeah, we'll come up with a plan. Fuck yeah, we will. I feel like <laughs> we can do it. I, the confidence in your face is giving me confidence. Yeah, I mean, why not? I just... We got this. I know we do. We've talked about it enough. We've talked about everything enough to have all the answers to everything. It's when you start getting other people with the wrong answers that start making it a little uh, complicated. Josh, have you had your energy drink today? I, I, well, I've been drinking coffee this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> do, I seem, do I seem... <laughs> the energy drink gives me just... I was going to say, I feel like the energy drinks increase your confidence. <laughs> <laughs> like slowly but surely by the end of it you're just like we can fucking do anything <laughs> <laughs> i have been like that there's multiple times when i i'm like tasha this is the fucking answer to this problem and then like 45 minutes later i'm like eh, you know what <laughs> <laughs> as you're coming down off the zoa <laughs> I, I take it back i take it back anyway no i haven't but i know that we could solve all the all of these problems i believe you all right all right, so, I mean, that's kind of it. I think if you have any crazy OWA stories yourself, whether they're good or they're bad, do let us know. We would love to hear what your experiences have been. Email us at act2writers at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. And I'm going to just do our quote of the day. Yeah, do the quote of the day. And I just want to say that I want to get people on here. We're gonna One day we're going to do this. We're going to bring people on. Anyone who has these stories, and I want to hear these stories. We won't have to say their names. You, listener, you're coming on the podcast. So get your <laughs> freaking story ready because we're going to – we want to hear them. All right. Spend as much time as you can making films rather than trying to get films made. Terry Rossio. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And you can follow me, Joshua Hallman, at Twitter or Josh Hallman <laughs> at Instagram. No! Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify.